So good to see all of you. And thank you so much for not having a mass exodus when Pastor Andrew said I was going to be preaching. I was even, I kind of closed my eyes and listened for doors to open and close, and thankfully you did not leave. So thank you for that. I want to uh, say thank you uh, for the opportunity and the privilege to stand before you today and proclaim God's word. Um, definitely something I do not take lightly. And I want to start by with a preference of this. A lot of times when I speak, someone will come up to me and they will say, was that message just for me? And I was like, no, nah, it really wasn't. As much as you would like to think it was, it was for everyone. Well, some people may go through a sermon and they may not, it may not be relevant to them. But I can 100% money back guarantee you today that this message is precisely for you, every single one of us. And the question today, the big, big question, the whole is so big that I literally named the sermon, why? The question is, why? Has anyone in here ever asked the question, why? Anybody. If you haven't, feel free to get up and leave and we won't think anything about you, okay? You're way more spiritual than I am and all these other people that ask why. But the passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So if you go ahead and turn there. But this, honestly, probably is the most frequently asked question of all time. Think back to when your kids were young. You remember the season they came to you and they were like asking why about everything? Why is the sky blue? Why is the sun bright? Why is it dark at night? Why, 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 why? And it's like, dear God, if I hear that question one more time, I don't know if this kid's gonna make his third birthday, right? Am I the only one that's ever done that? Okay, I feel really bad right now because y'all are just like, and you're going through that season of life and you're answering multiple questions like a zillion a day about why, 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 why. And you think, is it ever going to pass? And they reach an age where it does pass for a little bit. But think about it in a scope of life. As an adult, do we still ask the question why? Yes. So literally that season never goes away. It may, you know, be a much scaled down version compared to a three-year-old, but we still ask the question, why? Why do I have to work? Why do I have to pay taxes? Why are people so mean? Why do people not know how to drive in Jacksonville? <laughs> Guilty. I ask myself this 100 times a day, literally. So the question becomes, why? And a lot of times I think one of the biggest questions that people will ask, and this really a lot of times comes from lost people, why do good things or why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And you know what my response is? It's because of sin. And number two, there are no good people. The only time that something bad has happened to a good person was in the life of Christ. Christ never sinned. He never did anything wrong, yet bad things happened to him. What we should be asking ourselves, especially as believers, are why do good things happen to bad people? You see, God blesses us richly, even though we are sinners, God has given us grace, and as we will see today, as a result of that grace, we have peace that comes from God. So 
as we turn there, uh, most of you are probably already there. I do wanna open up in prayer and then we will dig in. So pray with me. Father God, we do thank you for this day that you have given to us. God, we thank you so much for the privilege to come into your house to worship you today. And God, I pray that this word really just truly takes root in our hearts. God, I pray that we will stop asking the question, why? God, I pray that we will just trust in you. God, I pray that we will trust in your sovereignty, knowing that you want what's best for us because you are a loving God. God, I pray right now, God, if there is one in here that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you will draw them. God, I pray that they will acknowledge their sin. God, I pray that they will acknowledge their need for a Savior. And God, that they will turn from their wicked ways and follow you. God, we want this time to be for your honor and for your glory and that alone, God. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. So if you will, let's go ahead and kind of dig into the text. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now, in the first verse is really, there, there's a whole lot of text here. I could almost sit here and do the entire sermon from it, but we're not. We're going to just kind of breeze through it. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are at the whole of Achaia, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very customary um, greeting from Paul. This is how he opens up most of his letters. He gives the identification of who the author is. It is Paul. It gives his title there as an apostle. And it's very important to understand that he is an apostle because of all his merit. Absolutely not. He is an apostle by the will of God and he establishes that right from the get-go. And he also says, Timothy, our brother. Then he goes on and he talks about who the letter is written to, the good old great church of Corinth, right? Super nice church, everything is going well. Absolutely not. If you know anything about the church of Corinth, there was a lot of issues there. So Paul is literally writing to them, trying to steer them in the right direction. But then look at verse two. Verse two is the key to the entire sermon today. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you see this written, it is always written in this order. It is very important that we understand that if you do not have grace, you will not have peace. Grace from God, the relationship that we enter into with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior gives us the grace and the forgiveness that we need in order to have the peace that God wants us to have. So without you having the grace, without you having the relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today, listen, the rest of this is gonna be null and void for you. You can't have these things without having the grace of God. So it's very, very important. Paul wants them to understand grace to you and peace from God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, no grace, no peace. Now, verses three through 11 really set the stage for the entire book of 2 Corinthians, saying that no matter what Paul suffered, he is saying that it was worth it. I wanna know how many, don't raise your hand, don't you know, embarrass yourself, but how many of us can say everything that we've been through, all the hardships, all the suffering that we've had in our life has been worth it to this point? 
I was asked a question not long ago, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made? And I was like, hmm, never really thought about it that way. Has there truly been mistakes in my life? Without the mistakes, without the regrets, the things, the hard times, the afflictions, the suffering, would I be where I am today? So we know that God has a plan for everything, right? And if we trust in that, it shouldn't matter what happens to us. The most important thing that we need to understand is how we respond to situations. It's not what happens to us. It's how we respond. So here's what it boils down to. When hard times come, and they will, we need to be a student and not a victim. We need to be a student and not a victim during these difficult times. Jim Warren gives some examples of this principle. He says, a victim says, why did this happen to me? A student says, what can I learn from this? A victim blames other people for his problem. A student asks, how much of this did I bring upon myself? A victim looks at everyone else and cries out, life isn't fair. A student looks at life and says, what happened to me could have happened to anyone. A victim believes his hard times have come because God is trying to punish him. A student, listen, a student understands that God allows hard times in order to help him grow. A victim begs God to remove the problems of life so that we may be happy. A student has learned through the problems of life that God alone is the source of all true happiness. What is your mentality today? Are you playing the role of victim? Or are you seeing the things that happen in your life as a way of growing in your walk with God? Many things happen to us that we cannot control. The only thing that we can control is how we respond in those situations. Life is full of unsuspected circumstances. We know that there's gonna be pain. We know that there's gonna be sorrow. Why? Because of sin. The life we live, God never intended for us to live. But because of sin, bad things happen each and every day of our lives. So as Christians, this should be the position we have in our life. We should always go through life understanding that we should be students, understanding what God is trying to teach us through this difficult time. And if we acknowledge the sovereignty of God in our lives when hard times come, we know that Romans 8, 28, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose will reign true. Listen, nothing surprises God. If you go to the doctor tomorrow morning and you're diagnosed with cancer, guess what? God's not surprised. God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh man, it's gonna be a doom and gloom message. No, I wanna help you get through that doom and gloom. Not me personally. The only way I can help you is to share what God's word says. So as we dig in, here are four answers to your why questions. Four positive principles, benefits that we experience when we have affliction for our suffering in our lives. First thing I want us to see, it brings us closer to the Lord. Number, verse number three, blessed be the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Some afflictions, this small affliction, no, all affliction. 
so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse five, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Point number one, the affliction, the suffering, the difficult situations in life happen so that it brings us closer to God. Think about your own life. When is your prayer life better than any other time? When things are great, right? When there's plenty of money in the bank, when your boss gives you employee of the month for like the 12th time in a year, when your kids are behaving, the whole, everything's going well, you're praying and praying and praying, aren't you? No, you're on cruise control, right? Everything's good. It's kind of like, you know, when you have teenagers, literally they don't come out of their bedroom unless it's time to eat, right? They come out like, what's for dinner? Oh, I thought you were gone for the day. God probably feels the same way with us. Whenever things are good in our life, whenever there's no problems, there are no difficult situations in life, he's like, man, I hadn't heard from Jeremy in a while. Things must be going pretty good for him. But you let the first problem come into my life or your life. You let the first sign of affliction come into our life. And what do you do? You fall on your face before God and you're like, God, I need you. God, I can't do this. God is too big. Things happen for a reason. It brings us closer to the Lord. So look at the first thing. Let's look at the word father. Now to the Jewish people, this phrase literally meant the father of or meant originator of. So for instance, we know that Satan is the father of lies, right? He is the one that literally originated lies, deceit, sin, So he is the originator of those things. So when it says that God is the father of mercies, some versions will say compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone. It is literally, he is comfort. He is compassion. He is all those things. Listen, he doesn't just give it. It's the nature of who he is. It is one of his attributes. He must give us comfort because he is the originator of it. Listen, Comfort often connotes softness and ease, but that is not its meaning here. Paul was saying that God came to him in the middle of his sufferings and troubles to strengthen him and to give him courage and boldness. So literally that word comfort there in the Greek text is the same word that we use for uh, the Holy Spirit, means to come alongside of. So he's saying, he's not going over there giving him sympathy, saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay, Paul, don't worry about it. He's saying this comfort is to give him boldness, to give him passion, to not give up. You see, when we want to console someone, we want to have empathy with them, it's kind of just a nurturing effect. That's not what the word comfort is here. He's saying, look, come on, man. Here, here, I'm with you. I want you to persevere. Then verse four, comfort is used six times in these three verses. Six times in three verses. How can we say God must not love me because of all this affliction I'm facing? God must not love me. God, where are you? Why are these difficult things happening? Six times in these three verses, the word comfort is used. Again, comfort is one of God's attributes, which means he can't help but give it. We have a sinful nature. 
as a result, that sin comes out of us because it's one of our attributes. It's who we are. God is that way with comfort. You see, he is comfort. He doesn't just give it, he is it. So he has to provide comfort for us no matter what the situation is. Look at where it says. The verse says he comforts us in some of our afflictions. All of our afflictions. It says in verse three that he is the God of all comfort. And then he says he comforts us in all our afflictions. God is not a selfish God. God doesn't give us a little bit of grace. God doesn't give us a little bit of forgiveness. God doesn't give us a little bit of comfort. God gives us all that he has. If we could just grasp that for just a minute, I think it eliminates the why in our difficult times. He never withholds his goodness from us. We just sang about it. God is so, so good. God is faithful all the time. God is there to comfort us in all our afflictions, all the times. But listen, we must be willing to let him comfort us. Have you ever seen those people that refuse to be comforted? When you know that comfort is there, when someone comes along and they're trying to encourage you and they're trying to comfort you, no, no, I'm I'm good. I'm gonna just have my little pity party. I'm gonna wallow in my sorrow. Listen, that's the victim role. The victim doesn't want help. Listen, I've been there. God, I don't want your help. God, I've got this, right? Uh -uh. We have to be willing to let God love us. We have to be willing to let God comfort us. So why is God willing to comfort us? We are nothing more than dirty, rotten sinners saved by grace. So why does he comfort us with all his comfort? It is his nature. Again, look at the second part of verse four. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us because he is a loving father first and foremost, but he also comforts us so that we can comfort others. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Am I on back there? You see, all too often we look at comfort just for us. God, I'm going through this difficult time. God, I'm suffering. God, you see my world crashing around me. Give me some comfort. And then he gives me the comfort that he promises. And what do I do with it? Stick it in my pockets. I hold on to it because I want all that comfort. But he says, that's not what it's all about. Yes, I'm there to love you. Yes, I'm there to comfort you. But also you are to take this and comfort others. You see, we get greedy with God's comfort. We get greedy with God's love. We get greedy with God's forgiveness. All those things that he gives us, we're commanded to share with others. But all too often we're like, nah, he doesn't deserve that forgiveness. He doesn't deserve that love. He doesn't deserve that comfort because he chose to put himself in that situation. Guess what? You chose to sin as well that puts you in the same situation you're in. Don't be the victim, be the student. Verse number five, for as we share abundantly 
in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. John 15, 18 and 19 says, if the world hates you, in which we know they will, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If the world hated the perfect, sinless lamb of God, guess what? They're going to hate a dirty, rotten sinner saved by God's grace. When you're not hated by the world, there should be an issue. Why? Because we're different. Because we should do things unlike the world. We shouldn't live in a way that people are like, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. You know, I love the saying where people say, hey, if you were to stand trial today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? Or would the jury be like, not guilty. I don't see any fruit in his life. I don't see any accolades of Christianity in his life. We will never, ever, ever suffer as much as Christ did, but we will ultimately be able to have comfort like he has. Second thing I want us to see, it equips us to minister to others. So he just told us that part of the comfort that we receive is so that we can take that comfort and go to others. So it says in verse six, if we are afflicted, if it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So it's almost comical how Paul starts verse six. Remember, he is writing to the church and this flows over to us as we get to read this as well. Look what he says, if we are afflicted, Anyone in here ever been afflicted? Nobody. Okay, cool. I'm done. No, no need to go any further, right? He says, basically, you can put when you are afflicted because, again, we know that we will be afflicted. Then he says, if we are comforted, which we know we are because God is the father of all comfort and he can't withhold that comfort from us because he is a loving God. So because of verse four, we are told to comfort others the way we have been comforted. So you're one of those really spiritual giants and you're like, man, I never withhold forgiveness or I never withhold comfort that God gives me. But sometimes we wanna scale down the version a little bit. For instance, forgiveness. How many times has anyone in here ever committed more than one sin? If so, how quick to forgive has God been with you? How quick to forgive when someone forgives you or sins against you more than one time? Listen, we all have that magic number, right? We have that number like, okay, he has made me mad or he's done this or she has talked about me one too many times. We all have that magical number where a brother has sinned against us or someone sins against us, makes us mad, uh, does something that we don't like and we're like, that's it. Listen, God never ever cuts us off. His love is unconditional. So listen, if we're gonna, we suffer with him, we also should comfort as he does. We should forgive as he does. That means that no matter how many times someone sins against you, you should forgive them. 
Oh, you don't know what they did to me. I don't, but God does. Listen, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus had been beaten. Jesus was about to be crucified. What does he say? Father, forgive them. Has anyone in here been beaten and tortured and at the point of crucifixion by someone? If he can say that in the situation he was in, we should be able to say, I forgive you for what you have done, no matter how many times it's been done to us. Listen, as I alluded to earlier when I first started, I just, when God puts these messages on my heart, it's like, God, I just want to share a message. I don't want to have to live this message. It doesn't happen that way. You see, this is, is for me as, as if it's for no one else. Um, we're, none of us are there yet. We all suffer. We're all going to continue to suffer until we are called home. Your suffering will look different than my suffering. But listen, it's all the same when we look at God's word. But then he goes on down and he uses the P word. What is the P word? How many of you have ever prayed for patience? It's great, isn't it? After you do that, it's like you instantly get up and get your car and you traffic is just a nightmare, right? Side note, this is free. Don't charge me for this. Never pray for patience, okay? Never. It's not a good outcome. You need it, but don't pray for it. But he says there, when we go through difficult times, it seems like it takes forever. Again, this can be a physical, this can be an emotional, this can even be a spiritual affliction that we go through. And it seems like it takes forever. But if we look at the grand scheme of things, what we, if you live to be 90 years old, in the scope of 90 years in, on this earth is nothing compared to eternity. It's for a season. But he says, when you experience, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our affliction should soften our hearts so that when we have received the comfort from God, it is easy for us to pass it along to someone else. Then he goes into verse seven. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So here is where most people will give up. Your hope is only as good as the subject of your hope. Your hope is only as good as the subject of your hope. So if your hope is in the government, guess what? Not good. If your hope is in a preacher, guess what? Not good. If your hope is in your bank account, it doesn't matter how much is in there. You can have billions. It can be gone just like that. Your hope should be in Christ and in Christ alone. Why? Because he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never let you down. That leads us to the next point, point number three. 
It empties us of all self-reliance. Verses eight through 10. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So we're gonna stop there. I'm gonna dissect this and then we'll go to verse nine. So we do not know the extent of what Paul and Timothy are dealing with here. Uh, We know that Paul suffered probably more than just about anybody else other than Jesus, okay? Intense suffering. He says that we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. Again, Paul is very descriptive, very detailed in his writings. How many of us could say that we have been utterly burdened beyond our strength? He then adds, they despaired of life. Warren Wiersbe says this, when God puts his children into the furnace, he keeps his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the thermometer. Paul may have despaired of life, but God did not despair of Paul. Again, when we look at our earthly relationships as parents to our children, we see the relationship that God has with us. How many times when you were trying to teach your kid to walk, they would fall and you'd be there to pick them up. Teaching them to ride a bicycle, they would fall, get bumps and bruises. But what? You were always there to pick them up. They get to the point, how many times when you were a kid that you're like, I'm not gonna ride a bike. I give up, I'm never gonna do it. Bikes are overrated anyway. I'm gonna use a skateboard because that's a lot easier, right? You see, Paul was so burdened. Why? Because God knew that Paul had to reach this point so that he was like, God, I can't do anything else. You see, the greatest point of this is salvation. When we understand that we are dirty, rotten, wretched sinners, that we need saving, and that there's nothing we can do on our own. You see, that's where God wants us. That's when salvation happens. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this you rejoice for a little while. You're gonna suffer. But why? Why do we do that? So that we may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse number nine, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So the longer we fight, the more pride that we have, the more we place our hope in others, the more testing that is required in hard circumstances we must face. Listen, God puts us in these trials and in these difficult situations until we learn what he is trying to teach us. Well, I've been in this struggle for about 10 years now. Guess what? You haven't learned what he wants to teach you. It's like going through third grade 12 times, right? When you learn the material, they will promote you. 
when you understand what God is trying to teach you, if you will conform to the image he is trying to make you in, then you get out of the storm. Now, if you've been in the storm for 10 years, I wasn't picking on you. I don't know that you've been in a storm for 10 years. It's just an illustration, right? Paul, made, Paul says that his affliction was so intense that he, that he thought it was gonna end his life. Why? To make him not rely upon himself. God wants us to trust him. God doesn't want us to trust our gifts, our abilities, our experiences, our power, our bank accounts. He doesn't want us to trust anything with our in front of it other than our God. If you are trusting in anything with our or mine in front of it, you will be let down. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. But you see, this society that we live in today teaches us, be strong. You can do it. Have perseverance. It's totally contrary to what God's word says. God's word says, don't rely on you, buddy. Ma'am, I know you think you're all that, but you're not. God wants us to die to ourselves daily. God wants us to put our hope in him. Paul knew that if this was the end of his life, his hope was in the God who raises the dead. Look what he says. Indeed, we have felt that we received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Then verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Sometimes God delivers us from our trials and at other times he delivers us in our trials. Sometimes he removes us from the storms. Sometimes he calls us home. Listen, this, God really convicted me about this several years ago. When we pray for people that, are really in dire straits physically. We go and they've been diagnosed with cancer and it's like, God, please heal this person. God will heal that person if they're a believer, but is it his will to heal them here or is it his will to heal them there? You see, selfishly, we like to say, God, I love this person. This is my spouse of 30, 40, 50 years. God, this is my child. God, this is my parents. Please, God, heal them. What if it's not God's will to heal them here? You see, we're very selfish in that aspect. I have been there with my grandfather. Many of you know my grandfather had a stroke at the age of 63, and I begged God, please heal him. God, you know I need him. He passed three days later and God said, he has been rewarded. See, selfishly, I wanted him here. But what was best for my grandfather was to be there. We go through difficult times thinking we know what's best. Paul recognized God's sovereignty and his power. Paul had no doubt that God was going to deliver him whether it was from this storm or whether it was into all of eternity. 
on him, he says, we have set our hope and we know that he will deliver us again. The last answer to our why question, it reveals the true power of prayer. It reveals the true power of prayer. Look at verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The highest service you and I can render here on earth, the purpose of our being, the purpose of us being created is to bring honor and glory to God. It's above all else to give him that glory. And sometimes that service involves suffering. You see, you never know who's watching you when you suffer. You have coworkers that watch you. They may never even talk to you, but they know that you're a believer. And when those afflictions come, when the suffering comes, how do you respond? Do you respond like the world? Do you play the victim role? Or do you say, you know what? God is sovereign. God is in control. God is not surprised by this, but I'm gonna learn from this. I'm gonna grow closer to God through this. He's gonna equip me through this so that I can minister to others. Listen, I can't help someone that has lost a parent. I can't help someone that has lost a child. Why? Because I haven't been there. If you've been there, God has allowed you to be a blessing to someone else. Stop playing the victim role and saying, oh, poor pitiful me. Take what God has allowed you to go through. Take the comfort that he has given you and share it with someone else. Stop hoarding it. Stop playing the victim card. Oh, poor pitiful me. Listen, Jesus never asked why for his sufferings. The one thing he did say, God, why have you forsaken me? We know that when all of our sin was cast upon Jesus, we know that he had to look away and darkness fell. He said, God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say, God, why am I suffering so much? Never. Why? Because he knew the purpose of his suffering. When we recognize the purpose of our suffering, when we understand the, the afflictions that are in our lives, what they're for, then it should help us to live through them and give God the glory. So Paul closes by encouraging the church at Corinth to pray. Why? So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing God granted us through the prayers of many. We can all attest to the power of prayer. The question is, why don't we do it more? We, I'm there. As Paul said, chief of all sinners, I take that crown. I don't pray nearly enough. What is the content of our prayers? Is it about you? Is it about your afflictions? About your situation? Is it about others? Is it about God and his glory? See, it's not wrong to pray for your own things that you have going on. But when we pray acknowledging God first and foremost, how we should start all prayers. Then we should pray for others and then throw yourself in. But see, all too often, we pray and give God our bucket list of all of our struggles and all of our concerns. And then we say, amen, and we're out. Paul Tripp says this. He says, underneath all the outside trouble surrounding us is a more significant more fundamental form of crisis. 
we do not see God or forget to look to him. God is there for us through all of your afflictions and he gives you all of his comfort. So I wanna encourage you today, whatever it is that you're dealing with, I don't know, again, this message is not for one specific person in here today. It's for all of us because we all have that question, why? We all say, God, why is this difficulty happening? I've given you four things to to refer to. More importantly, God's word says he is always with you and he will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will give you all the comfort that you need. Father God, we do thank you so much. God, we just thank you for who you are. God, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. God, we thank you for providing comfort to us in our difficult times. God, I pray that from this very moment forward, God, I pray for every single person in here, God, with me at the top of that list, that we don't play the victim role anymore. God, help us to become students. God, help us to become a student of your word first and foremost. God, help us to be a student where we recognize that you are doing this for your honor and for your glory and to teach us, to bring us closer to you, to equip us to minister to others. God, just to help us help others. But God, more than that, I pray for the one person, or maybe there's many in here that have never experienced your grace. God, your grace is truly amazing. God, I pray that they will recognize that they are a sinner. God, I pray and God, I just beg you to draw them right now. Help them to understand that they need a savior. God, there is nothing that we can do on our own. God, we can't read your word enough. God, we can't do anything to merit your favor. God, we could not handle your wrath. So that is why Jesus came. That is why he was the holy sacrificial lamb to pay for our sins, the ones we couldn't pay for, to accept your wrath upon him, the wrath that we could not withstand. God, I thank you for that. God, I pray today that there are many people, God, not only in this church, but God, I pray around the world that they understand that is the gospel. God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you will help each of us just totally depend on it. God, help us not to depend upon ourselves. God, we are frail, frail people. God, just when we think we're ready to take on the enemy on our own power, we do it and we fail immediately. God, help us to understand that you're the only one that can fight him. God, thank you for giving us the spirit that lives and dwells within us to give us the spirit, to give us the strength, to give us the knowledge and even confidence to flee from the devil. And God, there are times that we must fight him. So God, I pray that you will help us be bold in that. God, again, we thank you that we get to come into your house. God, that we get to worship 
you. God, change us as we leave today. We pray all this. Sweet saving name of Jesus Christ, the only name that saves. Amen.